David Glenn Show. We're talking NFL, college basketball, NBA, and little canes. Congress is discussing how we buy sports tickets and concert tickets from folks like Ticketmaster and others. We'll get into more of that with your feedback, questions, and comments. The NFL Combine continues. The NFL players have a proposal in front of them that would guarantee 11 more years of labor peace. Only takes one more yes vote than no vote for this to pass. The owners have already said yes. It is in front of the players now. You could get a headline at any time that they have a new deal all the way through the year 2030 and that football season. The 17-game regular season, meaning more wear and tear in a violent sport on the guys who get paid big bucks but often have major health issues in the aftermath that is one of the sticking points but they are getting an increased percentage of the revenue among other things in return your questions and comments on the combine the nfl we have a college basketball question of the day we have some j-lo and shakira halftime performance leftovers a dallas tv station dug up the 1312 complaints filed by super bowl viewers to the Federal Communications Commission. We've read some of them on the air. You can chime in. If you had written to the FCC while or after watching J-Lo and Shakira, what would you have said? Some have taken the funnier route with their answers. Others more serious. We will accept either at 1-800-849-2761. Since my ballots are due nationally and ACC-wise and even statewide, in about a week or so for players of the year and coach of the year and all ACC and all American, et cetera. If you have a player of the year, a coach of the year on your ballot and you want to cast it early, you can chime in on that. And because I am a guest on others, radio and TV programs pretty regularly, often on NCAA issues, sometimes ACC specific issues, I will answer for you and invite you to answer for yourself. Why is the ACC down this year in basketball? As many shows as I do, and when our show ends in the middle of the afternoon, almost every single weekday, I'm on with at least a couple of others somewhere else in the United States as the college basketball guy or as the Panthers guy or as the Hurricanes guy or because I created the ACC Sports Journal a long time ago, the ACC guy. Occam's razor, I believe, is the thing that reminds us that the best answer is usually the most obvious one. And it does apply here, but just to put some meat on those bones, here's one way to think of it. Three years ago, now you're not going to remember all of these names unless you are a diehard ACC or diehard college basketball fan. But three years ago, the league that has won six of the last 11 national championships, current ACC members, have won over the last decade plus more than half the NCAA men's basketball championship. Six out of 11. That is incredible. It is in part because they have Hall of Fame coaches, right? Mike Krzyzewski has a couple of those in the last 11 years. Roy Williams has a couple of those in the last 11 years. Jim Beheim of Syracuse is a Hall of Famer, doesn't have one in that time period, but did one win a title with Carmelo Anthony and his orange almost two decades ago at this point. So Hall of Fame coaches a part of it. Brand name programs, Duke, Carolina, and otherwise a part of it. But also, of course, Occam's Razor, high-level talent. Whether you measure that by the number of prep All-Americans who chose to play for the ACC rather than somewhere else, or future NBA players who chose to play in the ACC rather than somewhere else, whichever of those measuring sticks you prefer in most years, the ACC has among the most talent in all of college basketball. 
Now, you still have to collect it on an individual team. UVA last year, Duke and Carolina twice each in this time period I'm talking about. Louisville under Rick Pitino won one and then had to vacate it seven years ago. You need to collect talent. You need to get it all on the same roster. Then you got to worry about chemistry and staying healthy and coaching them up and all the rest of that stuff. As always, it starts with the Jimmys and the Joes. Without them, the X's and the O's don't matter a whole lot. Three years ago, the ACC had a record all-time history of the NBA. No conference has ever had more than what the ACC had in the first round alone three years ago. Ten of those selections, out of 30, remember, were from the Atlantic Coast Conference. The first two picks of the second round were from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, Darren Vaught, I'll ask you to stand in for our statewide audience on this. I think you will remember a large majority of these names. But as a starting point, if you have 12 of the top 32 players, as viewed by people whose jobs and livelihoods and aspirations for NBA titles depend on getting this stuff right, there's no charity on NBA draft day. They either think you can help them or they don't think you can help them. You know Jason Tatum of Duke was not only number three overall in 2017 from a really good Duke team, right, three years ago. We tend to say that almost every year for Coach K. He has turned out to be already, three years later, an NBA All-Star. Yeah, and, and like what, as of maybe two weeks ago, he, he did flipped the switch and decided, oh, insane. I'm going to be one of the best players in all of the NBA. It was awesome. Seeing him and LeBron go head-to-head in that Celtics-Lakers yeah. game last weekend was one of my best of the weekend. So number three overall, Jason Tatum of Duke. He was a one-and-done for the Blue Devils, but even those of us with short memories can picture him as of a course. dominant freshman for Coach K. And then the number three overall pick. Maybe you remember Jonathan Isaac of Florida State. He was yeah. number, number six overall. Oh, yeah. From a good Florida State team. A little bit lower in the lottery. Dennis Smith Jr. of NC State did not lead a great team that year and actually led the Wolfpack into scandalous circumstances, but we'll leave that for another day. It reflected the talent level in the league that year. The Wolfpack wasn't even an NIT team, much less an NCAA team, but symbolic of this record-setting season. Again, not in ancient history, but just three years ago. Luke Kennard did not strike many as a lottery pick during his time with the Blue Devils. But after two years of playing for Coach K, he was exactly that. Number 12 overall in 2017. Do you remember Donovan Mitchell? You want to talk about a hidden gem. I cringe about the Malik Monk Hornets story, mainly because I'm concerned for the young man as a human being. Some of the people that I have met personally who had substance abuse problems of some sort, and we don't know what it is with Malik, they did not announced that but he has violated the nba's anti-drug program that they created in the 80s former wolfpack star chris washburn violated that policy three times after leaving state early and was banned for life from the nba you go from high lottery pick making millions of dollars to chris has joined us on this show and i'm not making this up i never would about something so serious i don't remember if he was joining us while you were with me, Darren, four-plus years at this point. But Chris Washburn told stories of having to eat out of trash cans after collecting million-dollar paychecks. I, I, I would never exaggerate or joke about something like that. He funnels those real-world stories into his talks to prospects. Took him a long time to clean up his life to the point that he could give speeches to young men. 
but at least he's trying to turn that horrible negative into a positive. You go from multimillionaire at an age where probably a lot of people would make stupid decisions and blow it to a three-time drug program violator to penniless and eating out of garbage pants. I mean, he had to work his way back just to being a normal human being and sobriety before he tried to make a positive contribution to society. I don't know where Malik Monk is going. Personally, we'll see what those details are. But he was the Hornets' number 11 pick, number 11 overall, the Hornets' first pick that year. And he was selected before a guy like Donovan Mitchell of Louisville. He was selected before a guy like Bam Adebayo of Kentucky. Those two guys, if I remember correctly, just played in the NBA All-Star game. Adebayo this year for the first time. Maybe Donovan last year. I'm not. He's been there, done that. So if you're a Hornets fan, you're concerned about Malik, but it also causes you to reflect on yet another botched first-round pick in the lottery. MKG, nice NBA player, but you screwed up by picking him number two overall. Malik Monk, nice NBA player, but you screwed up by picking him number 11 overall. Continuing with the ACC theme, why is it down this year? I'm going to ask you at some point, Darren, how many of the guys we've been watching for the last three or four months strike you as a definite first-round pick? There will be some that could be, but, like, it didn't take a whole lot of imagination to know Jason Tatum of Duke, yes. Jonathan Isaac was one of those 6'10 guys with skill. No-brainer lottery pick. DSJ from State, no-brainer. Donovan Mitchell of Louisville has overachieved not many. He would have dropped to 13 overall if they thought he would be what he turned out to be for the Utah Jazz. But another ACC guy, right? Luke Kennard of Duke, et cetera. Justin Jackson of Carolina. I think that Carolina team was pretty good in 2017, wasn't it? Yeah, if I recall. I believe Roy has a banner thanks to the 2017 Tar Heels. Justin Jackson, star of that show, number 15 overall. And the list goes on. John Collins, Danny Manning's best player at Wake Forest in his six years there. Not quite a lottery pick, but number 19 overall to the Atlanta Hawks. He's still there. Uh, he hasn't been in an All-Star game, but he has been at All-Star games, dunk contests and otherwise, right? And he's a big-time NBA player, no doubt about it. Not only a high pick first round, but he's turned out well. Harry Giles of Duke was more of a project because of his injuries, but yet another first-round pick. Is your memory good enough to recall either one-and-done Carolina big guy Tony Bradley or Syracuse sophomore Tyler Lydon? Yeah, both. I recall both. Bradley was sort of a shocker that he he went on and, and was even uh, drafted in the first round. Not as much a surprise that he was taken there, but that he decided to forego a junior season. Skilled um, forward, or Tyler a Lydon. sophomore season, rather. Tyler Lydon's the one that just, like, came out of, comes out of nowhere. I remember him. But not until you mention his name. I don't even, I would not know what he's up to now. And Tony Bradley was a little bit like the Marvin Williams story, where for those who forget, Marvin hit the big bucket against Duke. Yep. Marvin helps the Tar Heels to the national title in 2005. Marvin was not even a starter for the Tar Heels, but because the NBA came screaming for him and he knew he was going to be picked, what was it, number two overall, he's like, I'm not going to pass up those millions. He's the guy who went back to Carolina and ultimately got his degree after, what was it, 10 straight summers or something of going back to Chapel Hill and doing some online stuff as well. Well, Tony Bradley was not a star in his one year in Chapel Hill, but he was told, dude, if you come out, you're going to be a first-rounder. That's guaranteed millions of dollars. So he came out, barely made it in the first round, and he's still in the NBA. But yet another example, three years ago, 
How could you not be one of the best leagues in all of college basketball? 12 of the first 32 picks were from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Even Frank Jackson of Duke and Davon Reed of Miami were early second-round picks, completing the 12 out of the top 32. So 12 dudes were the, the driving force beyond a, t a season that led to spectacular results for the ACC as a whole, well-populated in the NCAA tournament in terms of the number of bids, well-populated on the All-American teams, and obviously well-populated in the NBA's first round in their draft. Fast forward, why is the ACC down in 2020? You're not filling one hand. You can spit as many names out as me as you want right now, Darren. And yes, Cole Anthony, the freshman at Carolina, is a guaranteed first-round pick. He might have heard his status compared to what he, they thought of him prior to his freshman year. That's another story for another day. But even if he comes out as a one-and-done, as expected, he's going to be a lottery pick. Well, and ironically, he's played the fewest games of any of the names that I could, uh, I could present to you. Who comes up next in your mind? Again, 12 in or right outside the first round three years ago when the ACC was the most dominant league in the country by every definition pretty much. Who's, who's next on your list? It's 2020, man. Who you got after Cole Anthony as a lottery pick? Let's start with Louisville's Jordan Wara. Maybe not a first rounder. Maybe not. Now, there are two others that I would be willing to say are going to be first rounders. The big fella from Duke is one of them. And I don't know how much Florida State you've seen this year, but Devin Vassell. Yeah, those would have been my two next. Okay. Vernon Carey Jr. of Duke, who, oddly enough, I, I don't think is, is as uh, touted as an NBA prospect as, as some might think, right? Jordan Wara? Uh, Carey. Oh, Vernon Carey. No, this is a little weird. I believe that NBA scouts are having Jalil Okafor flashbacks. Because here's the reality. To my eyeball test, I look at Vernon Carey Jr., I believe the most dominant force in the ACC this year and a guy who will be an All-American. And I don't mean freshman All-American. I mean one of the 15 players declared the best in college basketball. I'm a voter for a lot of those. He and Trey Jones of Duke are both on my radar as an All-American candidate. Whereas I look at Vernon Carey Jr., good athlete at six foot ten. And built like an oak tree, strength-wise. Yes, you'd like him to hit his free throws more often. Yes, you'd like him to be a more versatile defender. He's not great to deal with the pick and roll for Duke. But he strikes me as a lottery pick. And I look at a lot of mock drafts, and almost nobody has Vernon Carey Jr. as a lottery pick. Now, most do have him as a first-rounder. If you're a 6'10 guy who's an ACC Player of the Year candidate, and you play for the GOAT, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, you're going to be a first-round draft pick. But you remember how highly Jaleel Okafor was chosen. I mean, way high in the first round. And what has sidelined his career to the point that he's bounced around a bit and had a hard time finding a good role with a good team? Can't stop people. Can't slow people. He's just in a game that has become a little bit more Europeanized, right? In a game where traditional post players are not as valued as they once were. Big Jaw was a big boy who liked to play down in the post. It's not like he was lingering out there as a modern-day stretch-forward stroking threes, right? He's a more traditional post player. So he was drafted high in the first round only a few years ago. And what was that, five years ago? 
he was one of the freshman stars on the 2015 national championship team for Coach K at Duke. Picked way at the top of the first round. Not much of an NBA career. I mean, he's still there. It's not like he's face-planted. But not really a dynamic NBA player as the game has changed and there's less value on the big-bodied post player. Well, does Vernon Carey Jr. strike you as jaw? Or does Vernon he strikes me as more than that? I see him hit some threes. I don't like his defense a whole lot. I don't like his free throws. I do see those parts. But he blocks some shots. He's not like feet stapled into the paint. It's not like he's not agile. He could get from the right side of the block to the left side and help defense and block a shot. He's just not super quick of foot so that if you ask him to switch on every you know, pick, he's going to have a hard time dealing with some of those guards who can handle the ball well. Duh. Most 6'10 guys do. The bottom line is he's still a first-round pick, but compared to what I just gave you, a lot of lottery picks, there could be one this year from the ACC. One. Cole Anthony of North Carolina, maybe somebody joins him in the lottery. I'm not going beyond three first-round locks. I'll give you Cole Anthony. I'll give you Vernon Carey Jr. I'll give you Florida State's Devin Vassell. Maybe Jordan Wara, you're right. Would you th- do you see Elijah Hughes of Syracuse if he came out early as a first-round NBA lock? He's one of the five best players in this league, but I'm not yeah. sure he's and a first-round NBA lock. He's good. I think some years he could be. Uh, now, I, I don't know about locking him into that first round without knowing the full board yeah. the big board well, you, you know what I mean sometimes you can always it's count on a half a dozen international players to gobble up there you know there's right. six spots out of the top 30 yeah. uh oddly enough this year it's not just that the ACC is down college basketball is down as a whole but for example the forward at Georgia Anthony Edwards have you seen him could yeah. be the first pick overall the center who is no longer at Memphis he skipped out midway through his season after those eligibility issues. James Wiseman, he is a probable top five pick. Do you remember LaMelo Ball, who's playing in Australia right now? Probable top five pick. You know, the Ball family is all sorts of dysfunctional. Lonzo was a high pick three years ago and has turned out pretty well. Already has changed teams, though. LaMelo was once, you know, a laughter afterthought, not so much anymore. He's going to be a lottery pick. Then you got a couple of international guys. You have a couple guys from Kentucky. You have Cole Anthony from Carolina. Uh, you have Isaac Okoro, if you've seen him, from Auburn. I and mean, we're talking about more SEC basketball players than ACC basketball players. You just never – that doesn't happen very often unless it's a whole bunch of Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, a handful of one-and-done right? Kentucky guys. <laughs> it's a little bit more diverse than that this year. You know, Obi Toppin of Dayton which is one of the prominent programs nationally this year from outside what we think of as the traditional power conferences, he's viewed as a lottery pick. I mean, you can get all the way to 30 and only see two or three ACC names. That is not what I've been watching for the last three decades as someone paid to chronicle the Atlantic Coast Conference. Are there other candidates? I'll just throw these names out and you can judge for yourself. Mama D. Diakide of Virginia has that NBA body and would have a shot to be a first-rounder. If you have seen how Florida State's freshman, Patrick Williams, has come along. Now, he's not ready for the NBA, but anybody drafting on the longer-term potential, he would have a shot to end up in the first round of an NBA draft. Now, when he comes out, who knows? Is he ready to be a first-rounder based on production? No. Could he be a first-rounder based on potential? Maybe. That stuff happens, especially with the taller, longer, leaner guys. 
Trey Jones is going to make the NBA from Duke, but would you be sure that he'd be a first-round pick if he came out after his sophomore year this year? Maybe, maybe not, right? So there's a lot of maybes. Cassius Stanley someday, I think, of Duke will be a first-round pick. If he came out this year, would he automatically be a first-round pick? I'm not so sure. If he came out next year, I think he probably would be. But all of those are guessing games. When you go from 12 of the top 32 picks, and that reflected why you were the best league in America, not just top to bottom, but on the national level, in the NBA draft, on the All-American teams, when you go from having 12 of the best players in America through the eyes of NBA scouts to maybe three, well, that explains Occam's razor style why the ACC in basketball doesn't have nearly as much depth this year. One crazy reminder on the other side as we welcome more of your calls. J-Lo and Shakira, NFL Combine, Cam Newton's future, and the decoder ring that we all need to interpret the public comments of Coach Matt Rule and Cam Newton and David Tepper. 1-800-849-2761. As we look forward to a weekend in college basketball that offers Pitt at NC State, Duke at UVA, among other interesting games, I'll give you a crazy reminder about this year's Wolfpack team. Most of what we've been discussing are the pack involves the pack being right on or near the bubble for the third straight year. Two years ago, Kevin Keats got on the right side and played in the big dance as a nine seed. Last year, they had a similar record on Selection Sunday, but they ended up in the NIT. Year three of Kevin Keats, once again, they look like they're going to end up right on the bubble. The crazy reminder I have about the Wolfpack is a little bit more of a what-if that I haven't seen anybody write about or talk about. That story with more of your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Glenn Show. I don't want those damn dookies rooting for us. They've hated all year long. Let them go right on hate. If the situation were reversed, I would hope they would lose by 100. You're in fantasy land if you ever think NC State's going to make it back to the national championship game. So just forget that right now. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Keeping the peace in NC on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One thing I promised, and then we'll get to as many of your calls as we can. Questions, comments, and complaints. J-Lo and Shakira. The Combine in Indianapolis, NFL style. The big player vote on perhaps 11 more years of labor peace. Matt Rule, David Tepper, Cam Newton. They've all chimed in with public comments. Rule just yesterday, Cam on Tuesday, about the possible future of Cam on that quarterback depth chart. The Canes are back on the ice tomorrow against Colorado, then go on the road for two weeks. The NBA offered a bunch of headlines that we tackled with Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. Congress is discussing hidden fees and other bothersome things when it comes to how we purchased purchase concert tickets and sports tickets. 1-800-849-2761 if you want in on any of those. The one thing I promised comes as a follow-up on college basketball. There are only three or so probable first-round picks in this year's ACC. That does offer quite the contrast from the Example, three years ago, 12 of the top 32 picks were from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Only Cole Anthony of Carolina, Vernon Carey Jr. of Duke, and Devin Vassell of Florida State are viewed right now as first-round locks. Others could join them this year or next, but that is a small number by ACC standards, and it helps answer the question, along with some other things, why the ACC just doesn't have nearly as many good teams as it usually has. Well, it doesn't have nearly as many 
elite players as it usually has. The one thing I promised is a crazy reminder as we come back to your calls about this year's NC State team. And whereas most of the conversation about the Wolfpack boils down to some version of this, they got to show they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, especially after being swept by the lowly Tar Heels. They get a chance to host Pitt on Saturday. They host Wake Forest later, and they go to Duke in between. They will have an oddly familiar record if they lose at Duke, but do take care of business, and I am betting that they will, against both Jeff Capel's Pitt team this Saturday and Danny Manning's Wake team after that. This is really weird to look at it this way, but on Selection Sunday... Two years ago, Wolfpack was 21-11, and 11, barely made the tournament. I shouldn't say barely. They were a nine seed. If you're an 11 seed or 12, you barely made it. Nine, yeah, you, you made it. But 21-11 and 11 included a lot of power-packed wins the way the Wolfpack has many of those this year. Remember, five quad one wins. So 21-11 and 11 was the record on Selection Sunday. They made it. Last year, 22-11, and 11, sounds familiar, was the Wolfpack's record as those decisions were being made, and they missed it just barely. One of the first handful out ended up in the NIT instead. Guess what their record will be if they beat Pitt, beat Wake, lose to Duke, but say get a win or two at the ACC tournament? Their record will be 21 and 12 ish, right around there. I mean, almost the same for the third year in a row. That's how you know the details matter. If the rough numbers were similar three years in a row, but they made it one year, missed it another year, well, the details must have mattered. It matters what you had on your resume, good wins, bad losses, and otherwise, and it mattered what the rest of the bubble looked like that year, and those rules apply again this year. My crazy reminder about NC State goes off the beaten trail a little bit and includes this. The hashtag in more civilized circles is NC State stuff. There is a profane alternative to that. And longtime Wolfpack fans will nod their heads in agreement that for about three decades running in a lot of different sports, while loyal, while loud, while passionate, and I give them credit for all of those things, they have been let down far more often than not. In the sports that we follow most closely, they are looking for their first ACC title much less national title in decades. They are used to Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown at the very last minute. This fits that description and hurts, but it's a reminder of how precarious college basketball can be, especially in a time where players jump from school to school more than they ever have via changing their mind on the recruiting trail, via transferring in and transferring out and all the rest. This is going to sound strange when I first say it, but it'll make sense in a minute. Darren, if I said the Wolfpack is going to have more players on the all-Big East basketball team than it will have on the all-ACC basketball team, is your first instinct (laughs) to ask if I had too much wine last night? Well, instinctively, my response would be, well, DG, current Wolfpack members, the team members of that team, aren't eligible that's for the all-Big East you are, basketball You are quite selection. the erudite, logical young man. Great <laughs> SAT word, erudite. Have you ever used that one at Elon, maybe? Probably not at Emory and Henry. 
tick till till Elon to get to. Yeah, that probably took until that was that took uh, about until grad school. Have any of the uh, Elon 7 a.m. tailgate guys ever used the word erudite with us? I mean, they're Elon guys. Got (laughs) to set the bar in a high place. I think at least one or more of those guys are erudite. Martindale strikes me as erudite, right? For sure. Mike Cross probably also erudite. And we love David. (laughs) We love the Davids as well. I'm just goofing around. Well, here's the punchline. You remember, I know, Omir Yurt 7. Big fella, signed by Mark Godfried at NC State, but inherited by Kevin Keats. He decided to transfer out. Perhaps never to be heard from again, or Patrick Ewing could cultivate him into a professional prospect that the Wolfpack wishes were on its roster this year. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Hashtag NC State stuff. Omir Yurt 7 former Wolfpack center, is going to make the All-Big East team after his development for the Georgetown Hoyas under the tutelage of that Patrick Ewing guy. I don't know if Georgetown's going to make the NCAA tournament, so maybe the Wolfpack will have the last laugh on Omir in that regard. If the Pack makes it and the Hoyas don't, you can decide who laughs last. But Omir is a really good player for the Hoyas. I forget how many guys are on the All-Big East team, but he's going to be one of them. This is a little bit more obscure. If I said the name Sadiq Bey, would you have any idea who that is? Yeah, I, I do recall vaguely, not, not nearly as well as I would remember like an Omir Yurt 7. Okay, hashtag NC State stuff. Sadiq Bey signed to play for Kevin Keats. Prior to enrollment, and I have always wondered the why, you know how I have a nose for when a public explanation is definitely not the complete story. I never read, never heard the full why. He just said he needed out of his letter of intent. The Wolfpack granted him his release. I even asked one of Sadiq's coaches at the time, is this because the Wolfpack signed a couple of other transfers on the wing? Sadiq Bay now at Villanova, where he is going to make... The all Big East team. Sadiq Bey is a six foot eight forward. Oh, by the way, you know who's also a prospect who might be selected in this year's NBA draft, even though he's only a sophomore? Yes. Former Wolfpack basketball signee, Sadiq Bey. So they're both going to be all Big East. They could be helping Kevin Keats. There are nights where Kevin Keats feels like he needs one more dude. Right? Sometimes he just runs out of quality guys, especially if somebody's hurt or, or suspended. Sadiq Bay signed to play for Kevin Keats, but then wiggled out. I asked his coach, is this because the pack at one point like had 14 players signed for an upcoming season? Remember Sasha Kalea Jones never even appeared in a game. Kentucky transfer, big fella. Never even played for the Wolfpack, but was holding a roster spot for a while. And other guys came in as grad transfers. I asked Sadiq's coaches, Is he just bailing because he didn't think there would be that much competition at his position? He swore to me that was not why, but he wouldn't tell me the why. So Sadiq Bey asked asked out of his letter of intent at NC State, and sure enough, kid from the Maryland, D.C. area, gobbled up by Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats. Omir Yurtseven of Georgetown, Sadiq Bey of Villanova, both will make the All-Big East team this year as the Wolfpack probably doesn't have one of the 10 best players in the ACC. Now, there's 15 men on the all-ACC team, so probably somebody. You could ask 10 Wolfpack fans, you know, who their favorite, 
who they think their best player is. Some will say DJ Funderburk at forward. Some will say Devin Daniels has been the most consistent. Some will say C.J. Bryce early this year was on his way to an all-ACC campaign, and they were right. And some would say Markel Johnson, when he's on, is their best player. Well, what does that add up to? Who's your best all-ACC candidate? you got to pick one. you got to write somebody's name on the, on the line. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but in a league where there are a lot of other good players, not great, but good, the Wolfpack is not going to have a first-team All-ACC player and might not have a second-team All-ACC player. Somebody will make the third team at worst, maybe the second team. NC State will have more players on the All-Big East team than on the All-ACC team. <laughs> Hashtag NC State stuff. It's crazy. Bay, is, Bay might be a lottery pick. Hashtag NC State stuff. And Yurt Seven's going to make a lot of money somewhere as well when he's done at Georgetown. Hashtag NC State stuff. It's crazy. Kevin Keats told us he's trying to build more of a Leonard Hamilton-type FSU program. What does that involve? A lot of length and a lot of athleticism. What is Sadiq Bay? Long and athletic. And provides depth at forward, as Yurt Seven would provide much-needed help in the post. Didn't work out. They moved on. Transfers aren't unusual. But as the Wolfpack hovers right on the bubble, it's especially difficult to hear that two former Pack players – Bay never actually played, but you get the idea. Two guys who could have been, maybe would have been, maybe should have been Wolfpack players for Kevin Keats are now not only playing somewhere else, playing with distinction as members of those Big East programs. 1-800-849-2761. Last call for phone calls is on the other side. I was asked why, if Notre Dame is 18-10 and 10 and NC State is 17-11, and 11, why does every show talk about the Wolfpack as a bubble team with a chance to make it, and nobody ever mentions the Fighting Irish as a possible ACC number five? I have an answer to that question as we come back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Last call for phone calls. Jay Lowe and Shakira. NFL Combine, NBA, NHL, and Congress discussing how we buy sports tickets to go with, of course, the college basketball conversation that we always invite at this time of year, 1-800-849-2761. As we come to Gary and you, I deliver one thing I promised. The question was, why came the email on every show that I listen to, do you talk about the Wolfpack as an NCAA tournament possibility? When, N when Notre Dame actually has a better record, that is actually true, NC State is 17-11, and 11, Notre Dame is 18-10, and 10, and even if you just looked at the ACC standings, and the conventional wisdom is, of course, Duke, Florida State, and Louisville are, are fighting for high seeds, the big three, as we've been calling them for months. Virginia has solidified its position to make the big bracket and at least have a shot to defend their title. They would not have been the first defending NCAA champion to miss the big bracket the following year. That has happened to others, uh, including Kentucky and UNC, believe it or not. But, yes, the Cavaliers are back in a really good position, fourth in the ACC, 
they can't stop working, but they're they're going to be ACC number four. Notre Dame not only has a better overall record than NC State, Notre Dame has a better conference record than NC State. Nine and eight for the Irish, eight and nine for the Wolfpack. So, of course, the emailer's question seems valid. Why is everybody talking about the Wolfpack? Why is nobody talking about the Fighting Irish? Is it because I listen to shows that are based here in North Carolina? Is this homerism or is this exaggeration or what's going on? No, here's the bottom line. In the games that the committee describes as the most important, they're called quad one. It's a definition, certain opponents. If you beat a top 75 opponent at their place, it's a quad one win. A home win is only a quad one win if it's a top 30 opponent in the net rankings. So basically they're saying the most difficult environments slash opponents. How did you do in those games? Whereas Notre Dame's 18 and 10 record is better than NC State's 17 and 11. In those quad one games, the Irish have one victory and six losses. You know what Notre Dame's best win is in the eyes of the committee? At Syracuse which is not even going to make the NCAA tournament. If you're sitting there on February 27th and your best win is against a team that's not going to make the big dance, you ain't getting in. So 18 and 10, of course, at first glance, is better than 17 and 11. A winning conference record, of course, is better than a losing conference record. That's not what matters most to the selection committee. And whereas the Irish are one win and six losses in these most difficult games, as defined by the selection committee, the Wolfpack is five and three, five wins and three losses, and not just one, right? Duke might be a one seed. Notre Dame's best win is at Syracuse that's going to end up in the NIT. Duke's best win, or one of them at least, is over a Duke squad that might be a number one seed. And State also has other quality wins, five wins and three losses. Does the Pack have bad losses? Yes. That complicates their resume for sure. But compared to Notre Dame's best win, man, the, the Wolfpack has a bunch to brag about. And the committee at some point needs to know, can you be competitive against others that are also good enough to make this 68-team bracket, especially the other at-large candidates? If you're Notre Dame and beating an NIT team is the best that you have to offer, the Irish do have Florida State, by the way, in about a week, I think it is, last week of the regular season. So maybe the Irish get their very best win against the Seminoles. Until then, the Irish is not even within shouting distance of the NCAA tournament bubble, whereas the Wolfpack is kind of squarely on that bubble. 1-800-849-2761. Let's let Josh in Huntersville in. He has Congress and buying sports tickets on his mind. There are a lot of frustrated consumers out there, Josh. What's on your mind? What would your message be to Congress as they're meeting with representatives of Ticketmaster and some of the other big ticket uh, companies? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, oh, just over the weekend, I bought tickets for the NCAA tournament in Greensboro because I'm hoping Duke will be there. I'm assuming Duke will be there, two seat at the worst. But uh, I was thinking I could get you know under $300 all of Friday, two sessions. And then when I go to check out, there's a $35 fee per ticket. Mm. On top of that, mm. and then uh, as well, there's an eight dollar delivery fee per ticket. Okay, so now you're up to forty. You're up to eighty six dollars. Yeah, you don't even get a paper ticket. It's on your phone. Wow. So Charging me eight dollars per ticket to deliver it electronically to my phone. I'll tell you, man, the cost of those quick emails really has gone up over the years, hasn't it? I mean, no, it's it's price gouging. It's dishonest. It's deceptive trade practices. 
Darren, when I get off sports radio, I might just back t- tap back into my legal roots and just go after the corner-cutting, lion-cheating, deceptive trade practices people. Just take on all the monopolies and the behemoths who lie to our faces and then gouge us because they can, because they've built such big, close-to-monopolies that they can charge us with this stuff. I don't know if it makes you feel better right now, Josh, because that was that added up to $43 per ticket in extra charges. One of the biggest complaints of Congress members as they are addressing these CEOs and COOs is the hidden fees thing. That's maybe even number one on a short list of objections that they've heard from consumers like you. The question is, if Congress comes up with nationwide rules, do they have the resources to enforce it? Because what they're hearing from the ticket companies is, if I'm willing to be transparent and I list in the search engine the actual price rather than the pre I'm going to gouge you with $43 in hidden fees price, if only some ticket companies are transparent and honest that way, but they lose all the business to the ones that are lying to us because consumers aren't savvy enough to figure out the difference, well, nobody's going to do it voluntarily. So it's not only Congress has to make the rule, Congress has to make a budget so that someone like me with the willpower to take on the behemoths and hold them accountable when they break the rules on purpose, you got to have a budget to hunt down the wrongdoers. It's like anything else. You can make any law making anything illegal. If you don't have enough manpower, person power, to hunt down those that are guilty of these deceptive trade practices, well, then you can make the law and enough people are going to ignore that law that Those who break it are probably going to be rewarded with more ticket sales, and those who try to do it the right way are going to be penalized with fewer ticket sales. Nobody wants that to be the end result, and that's some of the pushback from the ticket companies. If you make a rule, we'll follow it. Just make sure you make a rule and you can back it up. Otherwise, it's the opposite of what you see when a player goes to the PNC arena penalty box. Don't they usually put up on the Jumbotron, cheaters never win? Right. Well, if you make the rule but don't enforce it, the cheaters always win. Nobody wants that except the bad guys, and we curse them to their graves here at the David Glenn Show. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the they come. Thanks to Rick Bedell of the Charlotte Observer for dropping by. J-Lo and Shakira in their own way as well. Great phone calls along the way. Your TV picks tonight include some NHL, some NBA doubleheader style on TNT, Lakers-Warriors the nightcap, Blazers-Pacers the early game on TNT. The NC State women are top 10 caliber and host Syracuse on the ACC network tonight. NFL Combine 2. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.